It is my privilege to invite you to today's sermon podcast. I have made the Apostle Paul's prayer request my own. When he states in Ephesians six nineteen, pray also for me, that whenever I open my mouth, the words may be given to me, so that I will fearlessly make known the mystery of the gospel. May today's sermon come alive to you and aid you in your understanding of God's plan for your life. Um, well, okay, we're going to turn to the Word of God here. And, you know, I, I started last week uh, just kind of talking a little bit about the last days again. Uh, I preached a little bit about this uh, w- with you while I've been here. A lot of pastors don't want to move into this arena because it's, I don't know, I really don't know why. It might be a little intimidating. It's a little tricky. Uh, there's a lot of different things to deal with. It's difficult to understand uh, to be a, 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 an ardent student in the Word of God and understand eschatology or the study of the last days. You've got to spend a lot of time there. You got to, it's a lot of hard work. And quite frankly, I, I, I love it. I, I love preaching it. I love learning about it. I love listening to other men's sermons and digging into the Word of God and trying to figure all this stuff out. And, and, and so I just, this morning, I just want to talk a little bit more about uh, some of my thoughts with you uh, uh, on the last days. Now, listen carefully, because uh, I do my best not to make any mistakes, but you know, I do make mistakes once in a while. Did you know that? Oh, you did. Well, now I am in trouble. I mean, my wife told me last week after search, she said, do, do you know what you said about Judas? I said, what did I say about Judas? She said, well, you, you said he sold Jesus out for 30 pieces of gold. And she said, it wasn't gold, it was silver. I said, no, that's the price of inflation, honey, come on. You just, you just don't know. just don't know. I guess the week before that, I had Jonas swallowing the whale. How many of you caught that? All right, a few. I see that hand. I'll forgive you, forgive you. Yeah. The reality is it's far more of a miracle for Jonah to swallow the whale than a whale swallow Jonah. I'm just trying to increase your faith. I think, I think I told you that a number of years ago, back when I was much younger, much less mature, that's for sure, I was preaching in Idaho Falls. Lynn and I pastored there for about, oh, 13 and a half years. And uh, on, on Palm Sunday, I, I got my NIV and my King James mixed up. And I had Jesus riding into Jerusalem on the ass of a donkey. Now, I don't normally use that terminology, but it's in the King James. And, I, that, and when I said it, people kind of snickered, but I've learned enough to know that, that well, I'm not going to stop when people snicker. I'm just going to keep the train moving, you know. I might have been born at night, but I wasn't born last night. So, so I just kept moving. After church, my best buddies met me at the back door. And they all asked me the question, Pastor, are you sure Jesus was sitting that far back? <laughs> you know, one of, my, uh, one of my commitments is that we pastors sometimes take ourselves way too seriously. And you all need to know we put our pants on just like anybody. But, uh, man, it is a privilege to share the word of God with this people. It's a humbling thing. It's a humbling thing. You ought to try it sometime. It breaks you. It it molds you. It convicts you. It it never leaves you alone. And sometimes I get saved again, which seems incredible after my own preaching. (laughs) 
But it's the truth. It's, it's the power of the Spirit of God in our, in our lives. He's active and alive in our hearts. And if we don't feel it, if we're not moved by it, why do it? Maybe we're missing something. If God's Word doesn't move us, in my land, if he doesn't move the pastor, maybe something really is wrong. But uh, anyway, I just I want to give you some more thoughts. Uh, um, and this morning, from a New Testament passage, uh, and and talk to you again a little bit more about the signs of the times. So I want to look at Mark chapter thirteen, Matthew, Mark, Luke, the second um, synoptic gospel, and we're going to go to chapter thirteen. And the scripture will be on the, on the screen as usual. Oh, man, I left my glasses down here. I'm so sorry. Um, so uh, chapter 13, verse 28 is where we're going to go. And just a couple, two or three verses that, again, speak about um, the signs of the times, the signs at the end of the age, and, and the importance it is to us as, as the church. So if you'll stand for the reading of the Word of God, in the teachings of Jesus, Jesus is with his disciples, and they're on a they're on a walkabout. And in verse twenty-eight, all of a sudden, uh, Jesus stops. It seems to me, because there's a fig tree. And one thing about Jesus, he was always using his surroundings to teach lessons which I think is a pretty good model for parents. Never watch a movie. Never have an occasion that you don't try to take to teach your kids the significance of what they're experiencing. Whether it has to do with anything. Otherwise, they're left trying to figure it out their own. And I treasured that as a, as a dad, and now I treasure it as a granddad. To take those little sweet moments and speak truth into the life of the kids. That's what Jesus is doing here. So he sees this fig tree. Now he said to them, learn this lesson from the fig tree. Did you ever realize a fig tree can bring us a lesson? Well, here it is. Learn this lesson from the fig tree. As soon as its twigs get tender and its leaves come out, well, you know that summer is near. Even so, when you see these things happening, you know that it is near, right at the door. And I tell you the truth, this generation, it will certainly not pass away until all these things have happened. And then, of course, we've talked this verse here the last few weeks, heaven and earth will pass away, but my words, they'll never pass away. So, how many of you like figs? Anybody like figs? I love figs. Yeah. Figs are awesome. You eat fig newtons? Anybody eating fig newtons? Yeah. I don't like those fancy newfangled dangle ones. I like the old-fashioned original ones. But that's got nothing to do with my sermon. I just want to tell you, I, I love figs, and I'm glad God created them. Apparently, figs can teach us a lesson. Let's see what it is this morning. Lord, we need your help. Your word's been anointed. It's been God-breathed. It's authoritative. It's inerrant. Uh, Lord Jesus, it's inspired. And these are your very words spoken to your disciples. So now, Lord, teach us that when we leave here, we will have learned something that will make a difference in our lives. 
We would not abort the word, God, but we would be doers of the word, not just hearers only. And Lord, as that happens, not when and if, but as it does, Lord, we'll give you all praise and glory because we'll know it's the the work of the Spirit, the power of the Holy Spirit in our lives today, working in and through us afresh and anew. And in Jesus' name, we'll give you all praise and glory. Amen. Amen. You may be seated. Well, the lessons of the, of the fig tree. A um, couple thoughts here. One, one is common sense. What is the common sense of the story? Well, the common sense is simply that we know that when we see certain changes around us, something's happening, right? And the fig tree is the, is, is the lesson bearer. It's the one that gives us the lesson. Uh, so, so, you know, Linda and I live on the river. And right now, the last couple of weeks, we've watched the changing of the colors of the leaves. And then the leaves start falling. Well, what does that tell us? Common sense. It tells us winter is on its way. And it's coming pretty quick. And some of those leaves, I mean, they change fast. And they drop fast. And none of those leaves just kind of hang on and hang on. The same when they sprout. In the spring, when they start blossoming, we know that summer is coming. And, and that's the common sense of, of the lesson. But biblically, biblically it tells us something too, and that's what Jesus was speaking of. He was used the common sense of a natural occurrence to give us a spiritual lesson that we could hang our hat on. And what is it? Well, it's signs are like a fig tree. Signs, if you watch for the changes going on in our world, you'll know that something is happening. If you look at those signs, if you watch the leaves, if you look at the branches, in the winter, they're kind of hard. They're kind of brittle. In, in, in the spring and the summer, they begin to soften up. They have a different texture, a different feel. And they will reveal to us, biblically, the times that we are in. It seems in the Old Testament, there was someone who was known because they could read the times they were in. They understood their times. And I guess one of the questions for us is, do we understand the times we're in? Now, just a little review. Last week, um, I shared a couple things that bear repeating. Uh, one is, we started talking about this idea of the rapture, of being uh, caught up from First Thessalonians. Uh, a powerful scripture 1 Thessalonians verse 4. And, and I told you there's a progression there, but I didn't tell you what the progression was. We read through it, but let me just nail down the progression very quickly about this rapture, this being caught up, this, uh, this, this idea that we're going to be snatched away by force is what the scripture says. So here's the progression. First of all, there's a loud command. There's going to be a loud command. God's trumpet will sound. do 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 Now just in your own mind, Think about what that would sound like. You hear this this loud command. You hear the trumpet. And then Jesus himself will come down from heaven. It's what it says to receive us. And there'll be a resurrection of the dead who are in Christ. And then next it says those who are still living Christ followers. We're going to join the dead in the air. And now there's going to be 
an eternal reunion of the saints. I'm assuming, I think it it feels like we're going to be seeing mom and dad and grandma and grandpa and and those who have gone before us. There's going to be a great reunion where we're rejoicing with those who have gone before us with the saints. What a day, what a day that will be. We sing this stuff all the time. Well, well, next there's going to be, all this is going to happen in a twinkling of an eye. Kaboom! In In the splitting of an atom. In the blink of an eye, this this rapture. Now, secondly, we talked about um, what I called bookends, and not sure where I got this idea, but it just seems to me to be a natural thought that when you talk about the the last days, it can get really confusing. So confusing. Go. How do you break it down so it's a little more simple? You might say. So we got these bookends, and the bookends I called the rapture which begins the end. It's the beginning of the end of the rapture. When the rapture happens, there's a time clock running really fast. And there's a seven-year period that's begun by, the, by a guy we call the beast or the antichrist. And that in, in the halfway through that, that seven-year period, three and a half years, all of a sudden it gets really, really bad. Someplace in there, depending on whether you're uh, all-mill, uh, pre-mill, post-mill, all-trib, uh, pre-trib, post-trib. There's all these kinds of ideas. Did the lights just go down? We okay? All right, we're okay. All, right. um, all of a sudden, I thought maybe the rapture had happened, and I didn't see anybody out there. Yeah, <laughs> yeah so, so you got these bookends, and, and, it, and I'm not going to go through all through it, because we did last week. You can go back to the sermon last week on the YouTube or whatever we have it on and, and figure it out. So... Um, everything in between, we talked about last week, that is significant. And I mentioned specifically signs of our times that I have noticed the significant moments personally that I've, I, I think I've watched and noticed in my own lifetime, connected it with the Bible and said, aha, the leaves, the leaves are growing on the tree. The twigs are getting tender. I think many of us have seen this. We felt it. You can see it. I remember when I was a young pastor, and I preached some of this stuff. I I still remember some of the people who would come to me. They were were 70, 80 years old, and here I am, 30 or whatever, and they're saying, ah, pastor, we've been told this for years. Whoa, 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 hold on, hold on. You misunderstand the signs of the times. You're comparing your lifetime of 70, 80 years to thousands of years where there's been prophecies saying the time is coming, something's going to change. Now, I played with this a little bit last week. Let me just throw a couple things at you. So, so some of the signs. Uh, remember, we talked about a great expansion of knowledge. Who could... Who could argue? Uh, they, they now talk about exabytes and how they are multiplying exponentially by great percentages that nobody can track. So the information age has all of a sudden, boom. I mean, for thousands of years, people lived the same way, thought the same way, went to work the same way, traveled the same way, all of a sudden, kaboom. Everything changed because of information. And I showed you where one of the Bible students 
Ezekiel and Daniel, they prophesied this explosion of information. Now, I want to do this quickly. I talked about the abandonment of moral, God's moral values, his laws, his heart. And it's not just in America, it's globally. It's a global pandemic of moral decadence. Um, Thirdly, there's confusion about God's, what I, I want to call his hallmark design on humanity. Male and female made he them. That's being totally turned upside down. Even in the last few years, we have seen an explosion of that and the last year or months. And if that doesn't tell us that the leaves are changing, church. We must open our eyes and be aware. There's going to be an increase of wickedness, an increase of lawlessness. The prophets Daniel, Ezekiel, Isaiah, they all prophesied this. And Jesus spoke of it himself in Matthew chapter 24. The love of many, or most, will grow cold. And then it says the gospel is going to be preached to every nation. And in my opinion, that's already a done deal. That's already a done deal. The gospel has gone around the world. Now, are there segments of people groups? Yes, we could probably argue that. But the reality is, there is no nation on earth that doesn't have access to others. And we all have the same information now because of the explosion of information. And the gospel also preaches that in the last days there's going to be a great persecution. And if we had time to just even talk about the voice of the martyrs and something that I've celebrated as a pastor for decades, um, where, we, where we stopped and we remembered that today there are more people being persecuted and killed for their faith than at any time in history. You think about that. We think persecution only happened in the Old Testament. Oh, no, 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 no. Uh, today it's rampant. And, 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 and if we had the true understanding or value or vision of what was happening, we'd all be astounded. Just talking with my own brother, John, who spent his last 20 years traveling around the world, speaking with missionaries, and mostly Nazarene, but of many different faiths, and finding that our Nazarene pastors and missionaries have been killed, murdered, uh, congregations destroyed. It's pandemic, really. And no one wants to talk about it. So, um, the setting of the stage then is what I want to call the setting of the stage seems to me one of the big signs that I think that I, I am seeing. I believe other teachers of the word, men and women that I respect who have tremendous knowledge of the word of God are in agreement with what I'm saying. That... Um, there's a setting of the stage. It's my own terminology. Something's happening where things are being set up. So as this happens, it's going to happen. Boom, 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 boom. And everybody's going to go, what happened? And it all starts with the rapture when Jesus comes back. And I want to talk a little bit more about that. Um, so I have made the statement. I made it last week. Let me make it again. That in my humble opinion, the rapture could happen at any time. And I don't know how to overstate that. It could happen any second, any moment, even now. It is imminent. Imminent. Um, When something is imminent, 
What do we mean, church? And I think this is so important for us. There is a doctrine we call the doctrine of imminency. What does it mean? When something is imminent. It's going to happen. It means it's going to happen. And it's going to happen at any time, at any moment, any second, at any day. It could happen right now. Before we leave this worship service, the rapture could happen. In the blinking of an eye, the scripture says, it can happen. Biblically speaking, there's, there's nothing else that needs to be done for the rapture to occur. Unlike the second coming. There are probably a few other things, and that's a subject for another time. But there are other things that need to be done before the second coming. But not the rapture. Remember, I told you last week, the rapture, Jesus comes to receive the church, his people. When he comes for the second coming, the second advent, he comes with his church to reign. There'll be judgment. But for the rapture, he's coming to take the people, and most scholars believe before the rapture, I mean before the tribulation begins, to take the church out of the world because it's going to get bad. That's what the scripture teaches. So biblically, there's nothing that needs to happen before his return. All the prophecies have been fulfilled, no qualifications, no ifs, ands, or buts, but, but, but it's all been done. It doesn't necessarily mean it will be immediately but, immediately, but it means it could happen at any moment. That's what imminent means. Which probably should help us understand the importance of a sense of urgency. All of us have friends around us who need God. We have neighbors. I think one of the things that I've experienced in my own lifetime has been there's a growing laxity of a passion for evangelism in the church. Now, now, I'm a part of the church, so I can speak this way. But if we've lost our passion to share our faith, and I've preached whole sermons on this over the years. And I've documented it carefully. How it seems to me like the church is kind of floating by. Just letting things happen instead of being aggressive. And I don't mean in a negative fashion. But intentional. Strategic. Like we've heard some of our missionaries talk about. Like from the Philippines. Remember that? He's talking my, my language. When he's talking about being Strategic. Um, all the churches I pastored, we've had an evangelism plan where we would go into people's homes. Nobody visited our churches without a visit from laymen who would go into their home and they'd just love on them. They'd sense where they are. And, and I remember some of those discussions and some of those moments. I've been in, I don't know, dozens and dozens of homes where we've just gone in to say, hi, how you doing? Because I'm a part of 10 different teams going out on the same night. And, and, and I've seen people in that moment come to Christ, then be baptized, become leaders in the church. And I've seen that over. It seems to me like we somehow have lost the direction and the, the passion for evangelism. So, so I'm, I'm, I'm saying, let me come back to my thought. There are no signs that need to be fulfilled for the rapture to happen. As someone said, there are, there's two thoughts here. One is certainty and the other is uncertainty. For, for anything, anytime we talk about the imminency and the rapture and the second coming and this, this old doctrine of imminency, two things are certain. One is certainty, 
to his second, secondly, is uncertainty. It's certain to happen. It's uncertain when. And if you, if you hear anybody talking about when it's going to happen, and they got it nailed down, run from that person. Because even Jesus said, no man, not even the angels, know the day, the time, and the hour. Only God the Father understands the day it's going to happen. When I was in Eugene, I, had, I got a kick out of this. You drive down Highway 5 south towards Roseburg and down to the, the, the California border. There is a big, big uh, billboard sign that had the date, the hour, the time that Jesus was coming back. <laughs> and I told my church, have you seen the new sign in town? Yeah. Yeah, a lot of people have seen it. It's on Highway 5. Just go south of Springfield there and you'll see it. There it was. Jesus is coming. Had the date he was coming. Get ready. He's coming. Some guru had nailed it down scientifically. Well, the day came and went. So I brought the billboard back to the church. Took a picture of it. Take a look at that. Did he come? No. What does that say about the guy that said he knew when he was coming? Run from him. If he was an Old Testament prophet, well, you know what they did with Old Testament prophets who prophecy didn't come around. He'd be running for the hills. Yeah. So it is certain, but it's uncertain of when. So now a couple passages that teach of the imminence. Let me give you this. You can might write them down if you want. Maybe I should have put them on the board. Uh, if you guys want to type these up on the board, go ahead. I, if you can do that, I don't know. But let me just give you a couple of my favorites. One is... Um, it's a wonderful passage. I, I, I often use this in funeral services. John 14, 1, where Jesus, it's a very tender moment. He's getting ready to leave his disciples. He's preparing them for his death and his resurrection and his escape. And, and uh, he says this to these guys. He says, guys, don't let your hearts be troubled. John chapter 14, verse 1. Don't let your hearts be troubled. You believe in God. Believe also in me. And then he gives them this vision. In my father's house, there are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. And here it comes now. He says, I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go to prepare a place for you, I will come back again to receive you and to myself. So there it is. He gives us two very simple eschatological ideas, thoughts, realities that will come true. One is, guys, I'm going to be going away. One of them said, well, tell us where you're going so we can go with you. (laughs) Jesus says, hold on, boys. Your time's not yet. Talking about me right now. I'm going to go away. And the minute I go away, I'm going to begin preparing a place for you. By the way, I don't like the translation rooms. When I get to heaven, I want a mansion. (laughs) I'm going to sing the song in our hymnal. I got a mansion. Just over. I'm not going to sing. I got a little tiny closet. Just do it with him. No. Listen, Jesus has been preparing now your, your mansion for 2,000 years. He's a master builder. Whatever he's got planned for you, it's pretty good stuff. It beats any, any house on Mother Earth. I'll tell you that. So he's going to go, and then he says, I'm going to come to receive you into myself. He gives no qualifications, no deals must be made, no prophecies have to be filled. I'm going to go away, and I'm coming back soon. And and you already know, by the way, all the rapture passages, um, they're addressed to believers, by the way. They're not addressed to non-believers. 
So in 1 Thessalonians, it's all, he uses the words brothers, uh, the, the, the sons of light. These are Christ followers he's speaking to about the rapture. And, and, and so they're believers. In Revelation twenty two twenty, 20, I, I might have thrown this out last week. Jesus said, surely I come quickly. What is that? In the twinkling of an eye, a rapture. It comes when you're not thinking about it, when you're just going about doing your thing. Jesus is going to come. Luke says in his 21st chapter, lift up your heads, O ye gates, be ye lifted up. He says, lift up your heads because your redemption is drawing nigh or near. It's going to happen. It's coming soon. Just a couple thoughts. Now, um, I want to say this. I believe that... um, there may very well never have been another time in history. Now, you think about it. From day one of creation. I don't believe that there's ever been another time in history when in times, biblical prophecy has been more in alignment with current global conditions than they are today. If you understand the times we live in, and some of the things I've talked about. I mean, who can question the, the significance of globalism, a one-world government? Who can question some of the things I threw out last week just a little bit? As never before, um, a, a, a global currency, a cashless society. You throw in all these other things that kind of swoop in around it um, that we deal with. This, this, this cancel culture, what do you think that's all about? Well, the world wants to put it in political uh, context. No, 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 no. Oh, yeah, politics are a part of everything. They're in everything. But the, the reality is, who do you think is setting this up? Remember, a number of months ago, I, I took you to an Old Testament passage where God says he's going to put hooks in the mouth of those who surround Israel and draw them in, reel them in, like fish on the line, to start a war. The battle of Armageddon. God's going to do that. He's setting all this up. And if you think it's some kind of political fight between the left and the right and this and that and the other, you're you're mistaken what's going on here. You're not seen biblically. You're you're seen in, in the flesh. Open your spiritual eyes and see what's happening in our very world today. It's been predicted by the prophets of old and Jesus himself. Behold, I come soon. Wake up, church, he said. The time is short. And when I think about what's going on just in the, the region of Israel itself. So let me give it one more thought and then I'm through. It's 11.51 and I'm running out of time. Um, what do you do with China, Russia, and Iran? Uh, go back to... Um, Go back to Ezekiel 38 and 39 and read those passages how God's going to draw all these nations against his people. God's literally going to do this himself. It's not going to be a work of man. God's making it happen. So these nations who have been enemies for decades, for hundreds of years, are now buds. They're sleeping with the enemy. Uh, Nuclear power is a big thing. Iran, uh, Iran, we all know, is going after nuclear power. They might already have a nuclear bomb. They've sworn they're going to wipe Israel off the face of the map. 
uh, Israel, who's a tiny fraction of all those around them, all of them Arab, Arab nations. And they are the only ally of the United States in that region, really, when you stop and think about it. Now, these guys who were arch enemies have become buds. Russia, China, Iran, those surrounding areas. When you look at the history of the hundreds and thousands of years of occupation against Israel, and then, then you, you, you look at where we are in our day now, our day, starting in 1948. Now, I, I realize you weren't, some of you were not around in 1948, and me, I just say, neither was I. I was close, but not quite. And none of your business how close. So, so 1948, May 15th, Israel, as prophesied by Ezekiel, Daniel, Zechariah. The, these prophets of old said, can a nation be born in one day? Well, it was. Israel was born in one day. And Ben-Gurion and Harry S. Truman both declared that Israel now is a nation. And if you don't think the time clock started ticking then, you don't understand prophecy. About 70 years later, uh, I don't know what you think about him at all. I mean, if God can use Cyrus, an evil, an evil guy, however you want to tag President Trump, I've heard all kinds of things. But this guy, for all his whatevers, um, he's responsible for declaring Jerusalem as the capital of Israel. Do you see the time clock ticking? Now, see, you and I, we we have this problem. We live too much in the presence of the moment. Some of us are oblivious to what's going on around us. We're just all happy that we got a brand new pair of shoes and some good Nikes and, 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 you know, we got some new Levi pants and some good boots, Wranglers. And and we don't get the big picture. We get get so... can Can I use the term navel gazing? Uh, you know, when I was in San Diego, I was working for Linda's uh, father, youth pastor, and and uh, we had a special speaker who came, and he he, he was he, he was from the Naval Academy, and the secretary welcomed him from the Naval Academy, and she spelt naval N A V E L, <laughs> the Naval Training Academy. We got a note, in, 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 unsigned, of course, in, in, in the offering plate, that's my, and it said, uh, pardon me, but my navel does not need training, <laughs> which is probably true. You understand um, that Ezekiel and Isaiah, they prophesied these things. And now, seven years later, and we, are so, we are so focused on the now we don't understand our lives and our generations, they're a, a microcosm of eternity. And these things are happening so rapidly on God's kind timetable. If we don't step back and say, God, what are we doing? So, so let, me, let me see if I can go here quickly. Um, Zechariah 1.17, he says, my cities, God's speaking now, my cities again, They're going to overflow with prosperity and the Lord will again comfort Zion and again choose Jerusalem. Woo-hoo! Did you get that? Zechariah 117, check it out. 
God again is going to choose Jerusalem. Now, you understand, Jerusalem is the apple of God's eye. What does that mean? If something is the apple of your eye. Well, it's called like your own kids, your own grandkids. They're the apple of your eye. You love them. You, 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 you protect them. You, 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 you guide them. You, you, you just smother them with who you are. And the, but the Bible says, Mount Zion, this holy city, Jerusalem, is, is God's own city. He owns the land. It's his land. And he's given it to the Jews. And Zechariah says, my cities, they will again overflow with prosperity. And the Lord again will comfort Zion. And he will choose Jerusalem. That's God's promise. And after hundreds of battles and thousands of years of occupation, we saw the time clock start ticking. 1948, May 15. I don't know if you've ever been to uh, Israel, but one of the most incredible sights you'll see is Tel Aviv. In 1909, Tel Aviv was nothing but a sandy dust pile. Hardly anybody lived there. There are a group of families chosen, 66 Jewish families were chosen, to move up to that desert area and begin, be given some property. And each one of them, as they went to this property, they were given a shell, and they were to write their name on the shell. Does that remind you of anything? <laughs> so they write their name on a shell, and, that, and, and, and they put that shell there at their property. That became their property. Today, that's called Tel Aviv. Now, maybe you've never been to Tel Aviv. Brand new Jewish city then, built by Jewish hands, Jewish homeland, because Jews began to return all around the world and I, I spoke on this several months ago, how, how there are hundreds and thousands now of Jews that have come from all over the world, speaking all different kinds of languages, who want to recapture their, their, their inheritance or their heredity to figure out who they are. It's, 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 it's a miracle. And when Tel Aviv was nothing more than just a few shacks and, and sand dunes, today it's, it's one of the most profitable cities in all the world. So let me just show you let me just show you a couple things and we're done. Here's Israel, God's land. Um, so, for instance, you got a cell phone. Where do you think this came from? Well, the development didn't come from the United States of America. It didn't come from Europe. The development came from Tel Aviv. I've been there. I've seen it. I've, I've been there several times. Um, how about... Um, uh, iCloud, you use iCloud? Where was it developed? How about voicemail? How about instant messaging? How about the USB technology? All of that came from Tel Aviv. Thumb drives, you ever use the thumb drive? I'm not talking about you use your thumb to drive. I'm talking about a thumb drive. You may not be into TikTok or Snapchat or all that, but certainly you understand thumb drive. Tel Aviv, GPS navigation. Drone technology. Anybody take pictures with drones? Where did that come from? It was designed and developed in Tel Aviv. Social media posts. Every major technology company in the world, Google, Apple, Microsoft, Sony, LG, they all have their RD facilities where? In Tel Aviv. What do you think God's doing? God's up to something. He is developing his land. He's fulfilling his promises to his people. How about fruits and vegetables? Did you realize that some of your fruits and vegetables might have come from Israel? 
I want to tell you, I've driven up and down those valleys. I've been through Megiddo, the valley of Armageddon. I've seen these lands that used to be nothing but land that nobody wanted. The Arabs didn't want the land. As the Jewish people started coming back, they began to clear the lands. They began to develop the swamps. And now all those things were unusual. They are full of nothing but vegetables, fruits. It is absolutely mind-boggling what God has done in Israel in my lifetime. The first time I went there, half of that wasn't there. Their national product, their, their GDP, has more than doubled just in the last few years. God's doing something through Israel. And by the way, if you've ever gone to Israel and you've eaten, I'll guarantee you, you get nothing plastic. Nothing's there. You walk into dinner, and there'll be two or three eight-foot tables, and they're full of nothing but bowls of all kinds of different kinds of vegetables, fruits, nuts. It's all right there, fresh from the day's picking, and then it's gone. I tell you what God's doing in Israel is an amazing thing. Um, 75 years ago, nothing but swamps, deserts. God says, well, first of all, I'm going to bring my people back to my land. They're my people. It's my land. I'm God, and I'm going to do what I want. This is my plan. So if you, if, if you look and read my word, you'll see kind of what I'm doing, God says. I gave, you, I gave you my strategy years ago through the prophets. Jesus even said, there, it's all right there, and it's all about him. And if you look and read and study a little bit, you'll get a bird's eye view of what God's up to today. And at any moment, Jesus could come. So the question, any question for the rapture last days is, are you ready? Are you ready for the judgment day? If you're not, that's, that's the question. Give your heart to the Lord. Say, Jesus, uh, uh, this is amazing what's going on. You can visibly see what I talked about this morning. This is tangible stuff going on in your lifetime. Open your eyes and see what God's doing. He's doing a mighty thing. He's going to show himself great amongst his people. Wow. I want to be a part of that, don't you? Lord, we thank you today for your word. No wonder why the psalmist said that. Your word, God, I've I've hidden it in my heart so I don't sin against you. Lord, I pray there's anybody here today that's, or in in, in the reaches of my voice today, who doesn't know you, who's not following you, who's not given their life to you, I pray right now they'd say, Jesus, I need you in my life. I pray they confess their sin, they give their life to you, and they'd follow you from this moment on. Lord, I pray they will declare that publicly. Tell someone, a family member or someone around them, come tell someone that they know that Jesus is their Lord. He's forgiven them of their sin, and they're going to live for him. And Lord, we rejoice today because you are the one who brings life from death. And we give you all praise and glory. Now, may the Lord bless you and keep you. May he make his face to shine upon you. May his grace be upon you. And may he bring you his peace. In Jesus' name.
God bless you, church. Have a wonderful day. I want to thank you for joining today's sermon podcast. You can find a copy of today's sermon as well as other sermons and the sermon outline from today on our church's website, www.mvcnaz.org. It is my prayer also that you will seek out a church home that recognizes the authority of the Bible.